quite a passage, isn't it, where Paul talks about the comfort that's available in, uh, in affliction, in difficulties. Um, I don't know if you know much about the Corinthians' relationship with Paul, <laughs> if you've ever looked at that, if you've read the first and second Corinthians and you start realizing, wait a minute, there's some tension in this relationship. This is not, uh, this is, uh, there's a lot of struggles in the Corinthian church. Um, I will be sharing with you more and more of that backdrop. Um, but they were like difficult children to love. Um, they were like children who, in fact, have a hard time loving their parents. Um, remember the children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Did I get the right title there? The author's name is Judith Vorst, and she went on to write a number of other kinds of books, not just children's books. And in one of her books, she talks about how children can radically fail to honor their parents. And parents suffer this kind of loss where they think they're, they, they were expecting sort of a deep connection with their children, and yet they discover that their children uh, at times are indifferent to them. I don't know if you, you parents have ever experienced this, and your, those toddler tantrums. And She writes about children's love as kind of cupboard love, cupboard love. That having got what he wants, referring to a story, she says, having got what he wants, he throws her away like an orange peel, referring to mom. And toward the mother, she writes, he is suspicious, refusing her good food and makes her doubt herself and eats well with his aunt. And after an awful morning with him, she goes out and he smiles at a stranger. And the stranger says, isn't he sweet? <laughs> and the mother understands that, no, this is, he has, he's not always sweet. I think that describes the Corinthian love for Paul. Isn't, aren't they sweet? <laughs> and Paul said, well, let me write them a, a letter about their sweetness. The Corinthians were in the process of rejecting the Apostle Paul. They had found other teachers, other Greek-style preachers. Uh, they have found people who were closer to what they wanted. Paul calls them later in 2 Corinthians super-apostles, whoever they are. Paul was the planter of the church. Acts 18 is the beginning where we find that Paul had traveled a long, long way from his his upbringing area, and uh, he had come to Corinth, a very dangerous moment, a dark, dark, dark moment in his missionary journey. And God, in fact, gives the Apostle Paul a very special revelation. God gives, he's given a vision, a, a spoken word from heaven saying, I hang in there, Paul, I have many people in, in, in this city. I have many people. Let's pray. Let's pray for God's word. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you that you are 
peaceful and gentle to us. You are wise in giving us exactly what we need at the moments we need them. Thank you for this time that we have to look at this text. Minister to us, Lord, um, with deep, deep, deep grace. Help us to find a new way to live. Help us to find new strength. Help me, Lord. My mind is still a bit groggy from too many miles on a plane. Help me to speak clearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. I think this passage is talking about a new ability. A new ability. I think it's talking about a new way or a new ability to see and to desire. A new ability to see and to desire. And to desire empathetic ministry. Empathetic ministry. Empathetic ministry to others. This is blood-purchased ministry. We are all connected to one another. And this empathetic ministry to others is based upon who Jesus is, who Jesus is for us. And so I want to just explore this ability. This ability first has a, a stable foundation. This ability, secondly, is is a movement, a relational movement that includes the sharing of mutual life together. It's a relational sharing. It's an ability that moves toward people. And then thirdly, it is a, an ability that conquers all fleshly views of other people. We'll explore that. Fleshly views. All right, so let's, let's look at this. Look at verse 1 about this empathetic ministry. The foundation of this ministry, I think, is in verses 1, 2, and 3. And uh, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's important. Apostles didn't self-appoint themselves. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you, typical greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets to it, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, he comforts us in all our affliction. Circle the word all if you feel comfortable marking in your Bible. All so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And there's the key idea, able. So this foundation of God's mercy is providing an ability. Do you see that, verse 4? An ability to comfort. And we comfort, continuing on, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I've been scrambling this week, trying, I was home here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then flew out to Presbytery in Sacramento uh, on, on actually Thursday, Thursday I traveled all day, Thursday and got there. Um, so Saturday, yesterday I was in San Francisco airport and flying standby and uh, a little bit of a rocky experience yesterday, it took a while to get home, but I'm here. <laughs> And uh, so I'm at this counter, San Francisco airport, at this nice counter, 
plug in all your devices, you know. And I'm studying this passage. Just want to put this together, figure this thing out. And uh, I lift my eyes up. I'm studying this thing. And I, in fact, I had just read these words. Check this out. Who comforts us in all our affliction. There's my affliction. <laughs> I'm in San Francisco airport with all the other afflicted people. <laughs> and uh, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I'm reading this. I thought, wow, wow, wow. What am I going to say about this? And my eyes lift up from the counter. And 10 feet away from me is sitting a woman about my age, weeping uncontrollably. And uh, I think, wait a minute. I think there's some application going on here in my life at this moment. So I get up. And I go sit next to her, and I say, I notice you're weeping. I'm just here for you. I'm a stranger. I want to I pray for you if you'd let me. Her name was Lily. She'd had a visit with her friend in San Francisco, and it was just one disaster after another. Her friend was not all that friendly. Strange thing. And she had arrived exhausted and got to her gate and was not listening. They changed the gate on her right there. They announced it. She didn't hear it. And so she's there in plenty of time and misses her flight. Explains that she will be arriving in Omaha, Nebraska, about 2 in the morning, uh, having had to drive three hours by herself. So I prayed with her. I began to notice all kinds of people in the airport. There was a child, this crazy thing, a mom, these parents. The mom is just rushing to the airport, and this little two-and-a-half, three-year-old is like ten feet behind her mom. The mom's just pacing ahead as if the child can, as supposed to keep up with her, and the child is just screaming. Of course, the child is afraid of being abandoned. The child doesn't even know what an airplane is, you know. I just watched this craziness. And I began to just notice all the people. Everybody seemed so anxious and unsettled. Just looking out at this world. And we have the Vegas thing. And I just thought, where, where, is, where are these people going to go to find comfort? Paul is about to set up a moment of great depression in his life. It's coming up in verse 9 and following. We're going to cover that next week. He's going to set up this moment of, here the great Apostle Paul has lost all desire to live. And he's willing, this is the most fascinating thing to me, he's willing to tell people who have made it clear they don't love him. <laughs> and I just find that to be, wow. I don't know if I do that. You know, I'm not that... Well, am I that transparent with people who have communicated to me that they don't want to be around me? Do you have to cry in your flesh that you're all alone? Do you have that cry? I have that at times. This ingrown, self-pitying kind of way of believing. I'm all alone. And Paul sets this beautiful foundation 
this God and Father of our Lord Jesus, you know what he is? He is the Father of all mercies. He's able to comfort us, and he does comfort us, and he is present with us, and he then communicates to his Corinthian friends, and this translates into a new ability. Some of you have been through difficult, difficult things, and you know how to help someone else going through that very same thing, and you would not know how to help someone else unless you went through it. All of us should be awakened a bit to our ministry potential. It is not just the one up front who ministers. You minister in ways that I can't. And you have been gifted in experiences. You've been given experiences by which you now can take how God comforted you and you can communicate to others. And this is how the body works. And course Paul is the subtext is do you know why you're going through hardships and difficulties well it's not to abandon me it's to share with me how God has worked in your life this is a mutual covenant together purchased by the blood of Jesus we believers are in this together apostles and Corinthian Christians are together we are to be using this ability to comfort each other. I came across an article called Seven Habits of Chronically Unhappy People. <laughs> I'm sorry I laugh. I just find it to be so bold. I'm like, wow. And uh, do you want to hear them? Right, it sounds like, a neg- sounds like a downer, Pastor Todd. Uh, seven Habits of Chronically Unhappy People. Number one. Your default belief is that life is hard. Number two, you believe most people can't be trusted. Number three, you concentrate on what's wrong in the world versus what's right. Four, you compare yourself to others and harbor jealousy. Five, you strive to control your life. Six, you consider your future with worry and fear. Seven, you fill your conversations with gossip and complaints. A little self-helpish, isn't that right? the solutions are they're somewhat helpful not gospel oriented but that sounds a bit like our Corinthians friends they don't have a strong remembrance of the foundation of God's comfort Paul is crying out sort of like this look at this we have all the comfort of our God who is engaging us daily through Jesus who never fails us He is comforting us all in our afflictions that we might provide relief to others with the very same comfort. The Heidelberg Catechism, which we will say in just a moment before we have the Lord's Supper, the Heidelberg Catechism brilliantly focuses on the comfort of a believer at the very first question, what is your comfort in life, excuse me, What is your only comfort in life and in death? That's the Heidelberg Catechism. These two theologians in Germany about 40 years after Luther, and they came up with this, this is the gospel. The gospel is about comfort, about real earthly comfort in the here and now, and they answer it, what is is your only comfort 
in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong both body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, that is a earthly, down-to-earth kind of what does the gospel mean for us? Now, we in the Presbyterian Church don't, well, we don't start our theology that way, by the way. Uh, we start with uh, what is the chief end of man, right? That's our catechism. Does anyone want to say what it is? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, we finally kind of get down to earth a bit, right? But we start off with glorifying in God, right? So I just, I just think the Heidelberg starts off with down to earth stuff. And often we, who are like way up in the heavenlies, which isn't all that bad, we are like way up here in the heavenlies, and sometimes we never get down to earth where comfort is needed. We talk about theology forever and ever, and well, just as, as I often say, I don't think you're going to find the word comfort in a systematic theology, page 7 or whatever. I don't think it's going to be there. Maybe I could be wrong. Systematic theologies are about sin and salvation and all these other categories. But where it comes down to it is that we have to have a foundation for comfort. And that's the thing is what Paul is setting out. Complete acceptance through Jesus. And God's comfort is a complete mastery of all circumstances. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism goes on to say that, I, in fact, my hair can't fall from my head without it being the will of my Heavenly Father. Every detail of my life is under his control. And then, he, then the Heidelberg says, and, and in fact, everything must work for my salvation. All of your afflictions, all of your troubles must work. Listen to that. Put that on your refrigerator. They all must work for your salvation. It's not, it's working, it's working. This is a, Paul is setting up this new ability to see and desire empathetic ministry, connect with others. The Christian life is not a spiritual cul-de-sac. It's just movement. It's a movement. It's a movement. And let's talk about that for a moment. It's a movement, a relational movement. This ability is connecting with the heart of God and it moves relationally to others. Look at verse 5. For as we abundant, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We are bound together. What's Paul saying? We are bound together in a mutual sharing society of life. How is God working? How is he supplying grace? How did he sustain you? How did he hold you up? This is how we should be talking. Now the Corinthians have been lacking sympathy. They have not been sharing, interacting with Paul, honoring him, concerned for him. 
And Paul is helping them understand the most basic idea of the Christian life. We're in this together. Not a few Christians are still stuck. They're stuck in the ways that they were raised. They're stuck in the ways that they were nurtured in this life. They're stuck in ways that they're comfortable with. They're stuck in ways based on habit, upbringing, impulses. Stuck in ways. The Corinthians, basically they've said, yeah, we got a church going. we got our own kind of preachers and apostle types. And we kind of, we don't need any mutual sharing with others. How often they'd always sort of thought that way. Paul is saying, no, there's a mutual, relational connection. We are to be actively comforting each other, folks. One time I was on a flight, and there was this pilot walking around toward the back. I had never seen this. Never seen it before, never seen it since. Walking around the back, it was... Man, remember he had a white beard, kind of a Santa Claus-looking character. <laughs> Jovial, happy, jolly, greeting people, walking around the back of the plane, welcoming people to his plane. He was the pilot. I've never seen this. So he's looking around, and I finally figured out what he was doing, because he's walking around, brief conversations with people. He was looking for anxious people. Um... I may have looked too cool for him because he's just like, how you doing? Great. Moved on. But he hung out with people who wanted to talk. And you know what he did? It's really interesting. I could hear him talking. And he, with one particular person, he began to describe how powerful the jets were. Like they're crazy powerful. Like there's just no way they're ever going to fail. These are just amazing, amazing plane. He began just to describe it. And uh, I could just see the person sort of like relaxing. And, and then he, he kind of just said, just remember, I'm the guy up there. I'm the guy. We'll get this thing going. It's going to be all right. And he just kind of went around. Isn't that amazing? We're called to be like that pilot. Walk around, interact with people. Sense them. Pick it up. Pick up that anxiousness. Pick up that vibe. You're sensing. Do you have a good word for them? Do you have... Something like Philippians 1.6 that says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know God's at work in you? Do you, do you have just a short word for them? Do you have a word for the pastor? Do you have a, do you have, we all need, we all need, pastor, this is so cool. I found this verse in Hosea. This is great. Wow. This is what, we need this mutual sharing. Now for some of you, it, it just feels natural. You're just natural at this. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I like talking to people. I'm not, we love you. We're talking to someone, I'm talking to someone else right now. This is a person who's sort of comfortable. Maybe you're introverted. And this idea of you have something to share. You have something to share. People want to know that there are others who have been through difficulties and afflictions. 
and have found God's grace. Perhaps this is all very close to visiting a doctor who, where there's some ailment, is explained and the knowledge is given to you that makes all the difference because the doctor assures you this medicine is going to work. It's going to take some time. And you leave and say, wow, I got the message of recovery, the message of healing. We are all going to be healed through Jesus. We're all going to recover from this, <laughs> this death star, this crazy Las Vegas world. We're all going to recover. Jesus rose from the dead in order to give you comfort in the midst of insanity. And if you look carefully at his very death itself, you just look at it like, this is craziness, just like the Vegas thing. Craziness. A perfectly innocent person is murdered. And everyone involved knows it. That's like, and so this is, our God has come into this world. That's the world our God has come into. In order to give us comfort, we look at Christ crucified, never avoiding this pain, the pain of this world, and a process of healing is underway. We are connected to the resurrected Jesus who is now ministering to us like that pilot did, assuring us. That our lives will not end in a wreck. That's comfort. Now, this takes daily work. You're going to have to pull this comfort down from heaven <laughs> into your heart. Maybe memorize the Heidelberg Catechism, question one. Have a little journal. How do you think? What's going on? How do you... How do you imagine ministering to others? Where do you get the strength from? Begin to collect quotes. Begin to write down things. Begin to wrestle and fight. Fight against your tendency and my tendency toward indifference. Ray Ortland Jr. describes what Paul is after. He describes what Paul's after with these words. It, a gospel culture in a church is the shared experience of grace. For the undeserving, it's the corporate incarnation of the biblical message in the relationships, vibe, feel, tone, values, priorities, aroma, honesty, freedom, gentleness, humility, cheerfulness, indeed, the total human reality of a church defined and sweetened by the gospel. Isn't that great? Now, thirdly, not only is there a stable foundation, not only is this ability really part of a movement toward relational sharing, thirdly, this ability really conquers all fleshly views of others. Look at verse 7. This is so marvelous. Our hope for you, Corinthians, 
is unshaken. You know the behavior of this church. It was worthy of being shaken. And Paul says, no. No. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible, one of the top five great verses of the New Testament at least. It says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone. Behold, new things have come. A new creation. Any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. But that's 5.17. Back up to 5.16. Paul says, therefore, we no longer view anyone according to the flesh. There are two kinds of people. You're in Christ or you're not. You may be a king. You may be a slave. Paul said, doesn't matter. Your status according to the flesh. Paul says, we don't regard anyone according to that. It does not change how we act toward them. Point is, verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. No matter your behavior, your lack of love. Remember, the Corinthians were the recipients of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, our hope for you is unshaken. He's not going to let their behavior define the relationship. Now, if we see someone according to the flesh, if we're viewing them according to the flesh, we're saying inside, oh, that's them. Well, you know, I've covered this before. I mean, that's their personality proclivity. I mean, that's that, right? They're always, and you usually say something like, they're always, they're never, right? That's, by the way, that's viewing someone according to the flesh. That means they won't change. Husbands, wives, we do this, don't we? Oh, that's their Myers-Briggs. You know, right? They'd never change. The gospel is a movement toward others, and it includes hope toward other people as well. We should say to our hearts, God is at work in others as well. I may wish that it would be sped along. I may wish it was better, or they were easier to love. But God in the gospel, gives us this remarkable ability to no longer discount, to to fight cynicism with people. Now, how did all this happen? How did this become real? Well, of course, we know that Jesus lived a life largely without comfort. Physically, he cried out that the foxes have holes, to sleep in, but he has he himself had no place to lay his head. We know that his physical life had many, many challenges, but Isaiah 53 describes it this way, that Jesus, our Savior, the suffering servant, grew up before the Father like a tender shoot out of dry ground or parched ground. 
the parched ground of human nature. He could not rely on the on human nature to comfort him. The parched ground of failed human love. He grew up before him, before the Father, like a tender shoot out of parched ground. And of course, the comfort we enjoy comes at a great price. Jesus, who was abandoned on the cross, now gives us the comfort that we will never, ever be abandoned. And so this then, from this Savior, comes grace, and it looks like a new ability. It looks like a new ability to see and desire empathetic ministry to others. I hope you'll explore this. I hope you'll reach out to someone with a bit of courage. Um, you'll say something kind and uplifting. You'll extend an, an ear to someone, build a relationship with someone. You'll listen with empathy to someone. You'll notice how God brings you through affliction and comforts you. Let's pray. Lord, when we lose our way, you make yourself very findable, as Ray Ortland Jr. said. Lord, in this moment, thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us, that you have given us the comfort that now moves with, with, with the movement from heaven to earth. Oh, Lord, we look out upon a world, an anxious world. Thank you for this stable foundation that's in Jesus who's looking into our anxious eyes, telling us we're going to be okay because of all that he's done. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God is so faithful to us and so kind to give us the gospel, to give us each other, and to give us the Lord's Supper.